Thank you for tuning in to Omni Wellness Studio, hosted by Keith Osment and Ali Rico. Through this podcast, we hope to bring you inspiration, knowledge, and strength through hearing about our experience and others that will help you win each day in life, business, and fitness. All right, we're back in the studio today. I got my, my good friend Leslie back. Leslie, what's you up to, man? I'm uh, just enjoying this, I would say, beautiful sunny day, but I feel like we're in a monsoon currently. With man, what's up with the rain? rain? I know. It's ridiculous. It is crazy. So I'm glad to be inside where it's nice and dry. I went out with the horses this morning, so this is a, a pleasant difference. That's why my boots are still wet. I with the horses this morning. <laughs> was it you, tra- you, was it you that tracked mud in here? No, it was not me that tracked mud in this morning. The <laughs> mud was here when I, I walked in, so I can't claim that. Yeah, man. Well, how many horses you got? I don't have any. Savannah has seven. Gotcha. Yes. I got gotcha. you. Uh, I'm just kind of the... Uh, the uh, Attender to the horses, uh, I feed them and help her with them and, and all that. So. Yeah, well, how many is there? Seven. She seven. Seven. Yeah. Gosh, I, I bet that can't be uh, that can't be a cheap hobby. It's not. Uh, horses are the way to describe horse ownership is take your wallet and uh, drive to the nearest uh, refuse receptacle, the dump, if you will. Take your wallet and throw it because <laughs> the money's gone. So there's no there's no money making in there horses. There is you can you can make money with horses. Uh, she has race horses, so they can make a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, typical pasture pet horses consume money on a, on a, just a great rate. They yeah. eat constantly. You know, it's when we go through her three race horses go through a thousand pounds of horse of uh, hay about every five to seven days. A thousand pounds. That's ridiculous. Dang, that is crazy. Three man. horses. Yeah. Well, for you guys that. Um, if you if you listen to our podcast, uh, you know that we had Leslie on a few months ago. And been that long? I think I think it's been. Oh yeah, it's been okay. It's been probably I don't know. You know, time flies by. I do. I do. I do. But it was uh, titled "Invent Your Invent Your Own Way," mm-hmm. and Leslie talked about his childhood growing up and all that. And we we talked a little bit about different things, but he uh, he he knows a lot about. Um, different things and I, I find it very interesting so i invited him back on so here we are today to talk about um really what i want to get out of this episode we're gonna have a little bit of fun with it too uh talk about some stuff that's that's, that's not so serious um but also you know uh, a lot to try to get his opinion insight on on people that has has tried to achieve a certain level of, of greatness that has failed you know multiple times and kept pushing through and finally found success. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, uh, before we start talking about other people that we, we may know about or heard about, you know, through History Channel and stuff like that, mm-hmm. what's some of your personal, um, you know, um, stories as far as, you know, maybe having an idea, thinking, starting it, and then maybe not having success, and then, ha-ha, one day it clicks. You're talking about with me personally? Yeah, you personally. Like, you, you know. Some of the things, the interesting things that happened to me, one that sticks out, uh, was back during the development and the first uh, public exposure of the projectile recovery system, I was showing it to crime labs. And, it, of course, it worked like it was supposed to. But I had a director of a crime lab come out. This was in Alabama. He came out, uh, and this, this particular device was developed to solve crimes involving firearms, and you do that by recovering the projectile. This crime lab director brought out his ammo, his firearm, test-fired into it, recovered the ammo he fired, <clears throat> he fired, looked at me in my face and said, I know what I saw, but I don't believe it, walked in and slammed the door. Man. And blew me off. Just completely blew me off. 
Um, that's something that's personally happened to me. You know, later on, it, it had product representation in 53 countries. So you can't, the worst thing you can do is listen to the people that tell you what you can't do. I'll give you an example. So we all know about Thomas Edison and the light bulb. Okay, he invented the incandescent light bulb. There's one, actually, that is still burning today. I forgot what museum it's So what does in. that even mean, incandescent? That is basically that, a, a, it's a little filament. And when you put – and I'm not an electrical engineer, so I may butcher this. But when you apply electrical current to this incandescent little element in there, it causes it to glow. There's, it's a vacuum, so there's no oxygen. And it glows and generates what we used to know as light. Now everything's LED. You know? Right. However, yeah. he, had, he, he kept trying and he kept trying and he kept trying and he failed and he failed and he failed. So a, a reporter interviewed him and said, Mr. Edison, you have tried numerous times at inventing. Keep in mind, this was groundbreaking technology, a light bulb. What, what is that? What year was what? This is probably early. This was 1800s. 1800s yeah, the bulb's wow. been burning 120 or 130 years constantly now. And when the reporter was trying to belittle him for wasting his time inventing this new technology, Thomas Edison looked at the reporter and said, I haven't failed. I have merely found a thousand ways that don't work. And that's an exact quote. That's what he said to the reporter. Yeah. So don't listen to the people that tell you what you can't do. They're referring to their shortcomings, not yours. So ignore right. them and then continue on your path. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine any, anything that's been invented in the past that, that we now know is we take for granted common you know, every day. Like, yeah. You know, some of the stuff like, um, even a camera, being able to like a take a picture, mm-hmm. you know, you think about when that first that first was invented. Use gunpowder as a flash. Well, yeah, just to, to be able to, to to freeze time. Sure, so all it does is freeze time. Yeah, like a like what what these people had to have been born different because <laughs> I mean yes. yes, to me that's just that's just some like super IQ stuff. <laughs> I mean, you gotta if everybody, in my opinion, I know I know humans in general, don't tap into their full potential. Right. But at the same time, I feel like if everybody was walking around with the IQ of some of these people that invented stuff, you'd have all kind of, who knows where we would be. But Some of that's been suppressed. There's been a lot of things that have been developed, and I'll use Tesla, a good, good segue there. So when Tesla was developing some of his technologies in the 1800s, when he passed away, the day after he died, the FBI raided his office, his papers, and all of the technologies he was working on at the time of his death are still under lock and key of the federal government. They refused to release them. They were so far ahead of their time, his time, everybody's time, mm. that they will not let that technology out. And that's part of that is because he did perfect the wireless transfer of electricity. His tower proved that. The tower was torn down. All of his equipment was, was confiscated. But and he did this a long time before, you know, he got into a uh, <clears throat> bit of a uh, discussion, heated discussion with a uh, electrical titan who hired him and then cheated him. You know, he brought Tesla in and said, hey, uh, you know, Westinghouse wanted him to help with the engineers and things and build yeah. these generators because there was a big uh, – I hate to use the term pissing match, but that's what it was between AC and DC. And, you know, the big money guy won out and he basically just got rid of Tesla after he helped him achieve greatness and Mm. he promised him all these things and he let him go. So Tesla went out on his own. Tesla could transmit power through the atmosphere and he proved it. He did it with his tower. 
135 something foot tower like wirelessly yeah wirelessly and that was so far ahead of its time so you have people like tesla you have you have all these geniuses that that want to contribute to society as another example in the 70s there 60s and 70s there were 15 or 20 people that developed carburetor that could get 250 miles a gallon okay in the 70s in the 70s well the the, the dollar that we use in america is a, a petro generated dollar Money comes from the oil industry. Well, the oil industry certainly didn't want that. No. Every single one of those people died of mysterious circumstances. Yeah. Every one of them is dead. So you think, they and you can research that. That's provable. They're it, all dead. Yeah, and that could have been like. And it's not to say they they were just mysteriously murdered. It could have been something as simple as, oh, their car just mysteriously lost a tire and they ran off into or a ditch, their brake or line got mysteriously brake. cut. Right. However, it happened, <laughs> they disappeared. They disappeared, and there's no 250 mile a gallon. And that, this is before you know yeah. we had to go to electronic fuel injection. But the technology has existed for a long time to stretch many, many more miles out of a gallon of gas. But the people end up mysteriously dead. And I can I can actually tie into that with, you know, some of the medical field stuff and health. You know, there's there's been cures for for cancer a long time, a long time for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Big pharma doesn't like that. Diabetes, yes, is a simple cure. Sure, but you know you got a you got an industry that's making billions, 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 billions yes, billions a year. You have natural cures that the natives in Central and South America have been using for eons that will cure a lot of the things we have here. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, you take the money out of big pharma's pocket, and all of a sudden, it generates a problem. You know, if you yep. if you cure a disease, think of it this way: a customer cured is no longer a customer. That's right. So why should they cure it? There's a documentary on Netflix. I forgot what it's called. It's either dope sick or sick dope or something like that but it talks about the back in the the 90 early 2000s when they came out with oxycotton mm-hmm. and how that was just the most corrupt um like even the fda was involved mm-hmm. you know covering stuff up saying sure. it was safe and non-addictive sure i mean they pushed that whole non-addictive thing forever mm-hmm. and next thing you know you got people that's dying yes. left and right dropping like flies mm-hmm. because of overdose you know addictions. And, sure but they made billions of dollars off that thing man sure yeah. and the the drug sales reps you know um were were going into hospitals and bribing you know doctors they still do that to this day incentivizing yes well you know <laughs> hey I, mr doctor i know mm-hmm. you probably have your your medicine of choice mm-hmm. but but here's ours but here's ours mm-hmm. and by the way if you hit this level of sales with it or prescriptions, you and your family can go to a two week all inclusive vacation. Sure. <laughs> so at that point you so. are, you are, I know they take the Hippocratic oath, but at that point you are pressuring their judgment. Yep. If that's the right term, you are applying financial and political pressure for them to override the care of their patient for financial gains. Yes, and I think since then they 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 deemed it as illegal, but that still happens. It still happens. Sure. You know, I mean, they they thought of that unless they got a a, a, a monitor sure. or a, a microphone on every sales rep. How they how are they supposed to police that? You know. So buying votes, you can't you can't really buy votes. That's a felony. It's against the law to buy votes. But lobbying is completely legal. What's the difference? There's none. I could. You just you just brought up a, a word. We could go off on a. A tangent on this, but does does my vote count? When depends I go on who vote? you ask. <laughs> so depends on who you ask. So well, I'm asking you. What do you think? It depends on the integrity of the system. Yeah, um, because 
I, I can tell you my feeling. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not into politics. Um, I, I just know. I just know what I hear mm-hmm. off the media, and you got somebody like me that that feels like it's uh, an American duty to go vote. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just where I was raised. And if you feel like it's uh, the right thing to do, sure. take time out of your day mm-hmm. and go go vote. Okay. Well, you know, I'm I'm a pretty busy guy, and for me to take time out of the day to go do that, it's got to mean mean a lot to me, mm-hmm. or you know, whatever. I, I, I got there's got to be a greater good to it. Sure. But when I when I hear stuff like uh, voting machines getting hacked into mm-hmm. and stuff being like finagled with mm-hmm. and you know it just something's not adding up as far as what I consider the the votes uh, it just it's just kind of hard for me to believe in the system the system during this past election and to prevent any type of litigious activity I'm not going to mention any names of any companies but there were proven instances of people casting a vote and it registering for the other party there were thousands and thousands of ballots that were for trump that were found in the trash that were never registered it wasn't just machine intervention it was human intervention there are numerous people right now that are in prison for voter fraud that were caught either not counting the ballots throwing the ballots away to ensure a democratic victory and i'm not making this up this was on the news they went to trial it's all public record you know, in in one post office, they found tens of thousands of of military ballots from overseas for Trump. That never did even get. Never got there. Counted for. Never yeah. got counted. So you have a concerted yeah. effort to manipulate the system, which is why I said when you said, "Does your vote count?" Which is why I said, "Depends on who you ask," because it depends on which party you vote for. So there's there's two sides of this coin I can look at. Sure. And I want to, and maybe the, this will help the listeners too. Um, and maybe you haven't thought about this. I kind of view this the same way as I do giving money to a homeless person or a person begging for money. Mm-hmm. So if I come across a person that's asking for money in a parking lot, I know in my heart they're probably going to go buy booze with it. There's a really good chance. I don't ever give money. I ask them, are they hungry? Let's so, go get something to eat. Yes, and that's probably a better a better move for sure. But in, there, in times where I don't really have time to go get anything to eat mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm feeling like I, you know, I need to do something good, mm-hmm. um, I can just – I can maybe justify it a little bit better in my mind. Like I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. I put some good into their life and what they do with it from there. It's not, uh, on you. it's not on me. Right. Uh, same thing with the, the voting. If you feel like in your heart that you, you need to do, do the American thing and go, go vote because that's just what our country was founded on. Mm-hmm. Then then still go do that. Mm-hmm. What happens to that vote after you leave? That's not on you. Not on you. You did the right thing. So, so I don't know. I may, I may, I may continue to go uh, vote. Probably will. Um, and I, I may, I'll probably continue to give some money out. But I will go buy them food if I got time. Typically, that's the way I do it. <laughs> so. And it's it's interesting you mention that. When I was in Mexico, I was doing some work for the Mexican government, and I learned down there there's a cottage industry, and it's starting to pop up here. There is a cottage industry of people that pose to be homeless, and they'll sit there holding a baby or have two or three small children around them. Those aren't their kids. They rent those kids from the parents for that day as props for their theatrical performance so people feel sorry for them to give them more money, and then they split part of that with the biological parents of the children. And if you've noticed around town, you'll see people, the homeless people there at various intersections, various businesses, holding babies with small children. They could be theirs. They could not be theirs. But 
based on my experience in foreign countries, it is a cottage industry, and it's horrid to rent your children to beggars, and you get part of the cut because more people will give to somebody with small children. Yeah, man. And I've seen that around here. I, that's crazy. I didn't think they would get that oh, yes. crazy with it. Oh, yes. These people you know. are making – they some I think it was 20, 20 years ago, followed some guy around, and he, he drove out on his bicycle, and he was making 800 to to 1000 bucks a day. It was in California. I believe it. And then um, he went back to his Corvette and drove home. So I, I actually believe – it's funny you brought that up because, you know, I've often wondered, you know, if a guy – stands on a intersection long enough or even if he rotates intersections in town let's just conservatively you know if he's getting um a five dollar bill from mm-hmm. this person and then 10 minutes later he might he might get a two dollars or a 20 he yeah, might get yeah. a 20 yeah. but i feel like if you stand at an intersection long enough you're you're, you're probably going to rack up more than 20 bucks an hour you're going to do pretty good you're going to do pretty good yeah. so the, the way that the way that a homeless person, I guess, justifies it or whatever the issues they got going, whether it's they can't hold a job down because they drank too much. I don't know what it is, but they can actually go out and just work when they want to mm-hmm. and just stand at an intersection mm-hmm. and, and like you just said, make make $100 in, in a couple of hours. Sure. And, and, and yeah, make make more of doing that than they ever would sobering up and going and sure. clocking in at uh, – fast food joint and then if they live at hobo canyon it doesn't cost them anything to live people give them free <laughs> right. food they give them money yeah so you know as far as you know getting out of that situation you know i, I, I admire them for the grind and the hustle but that's the problem is they don't they don't never get out of the situation right. they'll just go spend that money on more booze or drugs and it's just a vicious cycle over and over again because i've always wondered if if somebody dumped you out mm-hmm kidnapped you blindfolded you and dumped you out into a, a brand new city somewhere that you didn't have any contacts no phone and they were they challenged you to get back on your feet you know i feel like i could i could do it i feel like i could it might be kind of rough but you know um, i feel like i could eventually but that's that's because i want to mm-hmm. you know but if i had the mindset of a of, of an addict or a drunk you know you you, you don't want to you're you're, you're kind of fine with living that life you know, you've got used to it you're fine with just begging for money and and then going and spending on more alcohol and sleeping in a tent or whatever else you bring up a, an interesting point so the gas station close to my house i noticed i've seen him for a long time as a older gentleman very long hair very disheveled he walked back and forth every day so i figured he didn't have any any car and it's about a mile from his house to this gas station and i was in there a couple of days ago and i, I mentioned i hadn't seen him and they said well that's because he's been arrested so he would come in every day and this is just this is terrible he came in every day and bought three bottles of wine and two mad dog 2020s and he walked back home what got him arrested is that he was charged with multiple counts of animal cruelty because he had a bunch of cats at his house and hadn't had water at his residence in four years well you can't have that so they hit him with with cruelty to animals now think of it this way he obviously has some demons he's fighting to drink that much every day he has no plumbing at his house because he has no water. Mm. He still lives there, and it's a single-wide trailer. So imagine the sanitation. Yeah. So his quality of life by being arrested just improved. <laughs> he gets three warm meals a day, and he gets a blanket and a bed to lay in. And that's, that's true. That's true, and it's a sad state of affairs. You're right. If I was if I was like bad off and living in the streets, 
They have the regulars up at the jail that the jail are homeless. Might be more comfortable. They literally, I've, I've talked to my law enforcement friends about this. They'll go up to some complete stranger, slap them, get a simple battery charge, and improve their standard of living by going back to jail. Man. And they don't want anybody to bail them out because they live better in jail than they do in their box at home. They're, they live in a cardboard box or a tent or wherever they live. Yeah. Their standard of living is higher in jail. Gosh. Yes. I never thought about it like that, but yes. it makes sense. It does. Yeah, well, back on the – I know we're bouncing around here, and that's fine. We're, we're kind of storytelling, and um, that's all good. But back on the uh, you know, people that in the past has, has pushed through failures um, – any any who comes to mind any any of the greats uh, that you can think of other than Thomas Edison? Oh goodness, um, there's well, there's a lot of there's a lot of greats in in various industries. Um, you know, you've got see, we mentioned Ford earlier before we went on the air here. You know, Henry Ford is is credited with revolutionizing the automotive assembly. A lot of people think he invented the automobile. He didn't. It was invented in the 1800s in Germany. He invented the he was given the patent the efficiency of he, assembling it. He developed the efficiency. So you don't. And I say that to say this: you don't have to invent something new to make a bunch of money. He invented a new way to put it together, and look how big his company is now. Hmm. So you don't necessarily have to focus on inventing something new. Invent a better way to do something. You know, like we discussed Velcro. You know, I, I don't know who holds the patent on Velcro. Maybe 3M or something like that or BASF, one of those big companies, you know, it's, and Velcro is the trade name in the Army. We have to call it hook and loop. You can't use Velcro because that's a trademarked ti- you know, title. Really? But it's Velcro. Um, so think of who invented that as far as an engineer for the company, but he didn't reap the rewards because he worked for the company. The mm. company, re- and they may have gave him a bonus or something. But you have the people that build things in their carports. For instance, Dell. Apple, those guys, Steve Jobs and those guys, when they started working on the first computer, it was in their carport. I've seen a picture of their house. It's a little double-wide carport. I think it was in somewhere in California. Yeah. And they started putting together the world's first PC in their carport. Yeah, there's a documentary, uh, Steve Jobs, Mm -hmm. on Netflix. Ashton Mm -hmm. Kutcher plays it. Okay. The same thing. You're right. They started off in his garage. In his garage. A lot of your big, big companies, big guys, big inventions literally started in a garage. They did. And a lot of these people just have such burning, like, like vision and, and desire of, of where they want to get to. But mm-hmm. sometimes that path's not easy. It's If it's easy, everybody would do it. And You don't want it to be easy. Because when you get to that finish line after you've climbed a mountain, the struggle makes it worth it. You know, you don't want it to be a straight path. Yeah. If it was that easy, everybody would be inventing every day. Interesting trivia for you. In the late 1800s. Uh, Congress petitioned that the patent office be closed because they're, they thought it was a waste of money. Now, remember, this is the late 1800s. We haven't flown yet. I think Alexander Graham Bell had just come up with a telegraph, all this. Computers, Facebook, so none of that invented. It was petitioned that Congress close the Patent and Trademark Office under the mindset of anything that could have been invented already had been. Hmm. Nice. Imagine that now. Yeah, that would suck. Oh, my gosh. So the, the technology just keeps marching forward, and you have individuals that have that mindset that simply says, and we're kind of taught this in the Army, I'm not going to fail. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep pushing through, and eventually you will break through all the obstacles, and you will achieve your goal. 
You know, in the Army, it's the completion of the mission. But in the business world, it is closing the deal, getting a new product to market. Yeah. There's various ways that success is measured. So. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about, you know, hear the people talk about um, how it's important to have balance in your life. And I got two different opinions on that. Um, yes, I agree. You need to have, it's, it's good to have, it's good to strive for balance, but at the same time, I don't know about you, but if you ask me, if you talk, if you talk to somebody like, uh, any, anybody that's achieved any level of crazy amount of greatness, you know, whether it was Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, Elon Musk, mm-hmm. you know, yourself, ask them how balance is, you know, um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think they were too, too balanced to, to get to the the finish line they were hard focused hard focused hard and focused. for me you know coming from the south and a, a real homey uh you know touchy you know i love you like a lot of communication mm-hmm. weekends mama's house mm-hmm. sweet tea cookouts oh, yeah. uh top top Grand, life grandparents house on sunday kind of thing. yeah yes. um where they they put a lot of value on quality time mm-hmm. um that's hard for me to, to have balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I try, I try. And when I try, it's things like for me is trying is like, you know, I recently started, um, anytime my mother takes my grandmother to her doctor's appointment, we now meet for lunch. So that might be like once every few weeks, but mm-hmm. it's better than nothing. It is because I know I have come, I have the awareness that I'm, I'm, I'm focused. Mm-hmm. I have, I have, I have a vision, and for me to get there, there's not a lot of uh, balance and a lot of time for a lot of the warm, fuzzy stuff mm-hmm. that that sometimes I think uh, society pressures us to be. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of kind of talk about that. I'm not sure if you can relate. So, um, if you here's an example I can give in in my life before I started developing different products and technologies. I worked at a lot of factories. A lot of them are, are still there in Industrial Park. Um, it used to be Katsushiro. I worked there when Water Metal was there. I worked there. I worked, a lot, worked at the Lindell Mill when it was an operation. If you look at, there's typically two types of inventors. You Type one is the inventor that is involved in an industry or doing something related to the products they invent, like the equine products we've come out with. Never thought I'd be inventing horse products, mm-hmm. but that's the way it is now. Because um, I didn't know anything about horses. I was educating me on horses. However, and I say all that, say this, when you work a nine-to-five job or a 12-hour shift or whatever, when you get home, regardless if it's an eight-hour day, a 12-hour day, and you have a family and you have all the, the confines of life, right? you don't have the time, energy, mental capacity, or motivation to go in the carport and start tinkering because you got to take the kids to softball. You got to take the kids to this. You have doctor's appointments. You have life gets in the way. Yeah. So it's been my experience that there are two types of inventors, those that have a tremendous amount of free time, which means, and I don't want this to come across wrong. Please don't take this (laughs) wrong. Those that don't have to work that have the free time to spend, to test and develop and invent products, or those that do have the full-time jobs that have the family that, you know, the, the the sports life with the kids and all this, but they have a problem, or they see a problem, they recognize the problem, and they start working on a solution in what little time they have because they know 
I, I was, uh, Miss Ellenberg asked me to come speak at her, her class at Pepperell here a couple of months back. And I was so honored that she now wants me when school comes back in, she wants me to come back every month to talk to the students. And we were talking about, you know, the difference between rich and wealthy and all this. And I said, the main denominator there, the, the, or actually the more the difference there is being able to afford the freedom of time. Yeah. So when you can afford the freedom of time, you can spend that how you want to, and you're not obligated to get up at four in the morning to go to a factory and pay the bills. So now you can start making life better for you and your family by developing these products that solve a problem. Coming out with a new mousetrap or the latest, greatest mousetrap is great, but until you convince people they need it, you haven't done anything. It's funny you say that because you're right. Um, one thing that I've noticed, even working with, even with people on their like nutrition, mm-hmm. like, you know, they hire me as their nutrition coach, personal trainer online. Mm-hmm. I get a really good insight of how their, their, their life is busy. And I, I'm really shocked at how much people have on their plate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not healthy. Nope. It's, it's, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when the ball burst. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I mean, these people are only in their thirties. And they're so stressed, and they ha- they have to do all this stuff to to either pay the bills, whether it's working two jobs, mm-hmm. they got the kids, they got the the ball practices. I Life. mean, it's just a lot, man. You know, it's, it's I, and I, f- I feel for them because it's like you know they're somewhere deep inside they had they had the awareness that they they need to lose some weight or get healthy, and and the reason that they're probably where they're at is because of of all the stuff. And I'm just like, A, how, how did it get like this? And B, how do you, how do you fix it? Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, that's why I think I've always put a lot of value on, um, freedom as far as financials, you know, um, for me, it's never been about making a lot of money so I can go buy, you know, keep up with the Joneses, right. you know, as far as, the best, best everything. Uh, now I like nice stuff, mm-hmm. but I value, I value, I put more value on kind of being able to float and navigate my days how I want and wish. And that is that being freedom. Able, yes, that's exactly what I said. Being able to afford the freedom of time. So, and when you got the the freedom of time, mm-hmm. you you it does give me time to 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 get creative. Mm-hmm. So I'm I don't I don't I don't classify myself as an inventor, but I am a visionary and I have. I have a really good, um, you know, I have really clear visions mm-hmm. and I know that I can get there. Sure. I don't, I don't have a perfect roadmap in front of me, but I don't, I don't stop until I get there. Nobody yeah. has a perfect roadmap because uh, you <laughs> only control your actions, not everybody else's. Yeah. So that has to be a very <clears throat> fluid roadmap. You have to adjust. You know? So like, we'll, we'll take it back to, you know, when I, when I made that decision to stop working for AT&T mm-hmm. direct TV to go pursue my, stump grinding business mm-hmm. that was that was starting to take off now if i had been totally strapped to that job i'm talking about where there's no way i could have left it because i had so many bills right. you know i was living way beyond my means you know just credit card massive debt you know house payment through the roof mm-hmm. um, at that time i lived in a sixty thousand dollar home mm-hmm. uh, i think the payment was 500 bucks a month now i know things have changed this was probably 
this is probably 10 years ago, but still. Now that house worth 300000 Probably, but, <laughs> but still, you know, even then, a yeah. $60,000 home mm-hmm. uh, wasn't living beyond right. my means. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of, you know, I didn't spend a lot of money on like hunting equipment or golfing or fishing supplies. I wouldn't spend every penny I made constantly all the time. And it, that, that allowed me to, to kind of fade out from, from direct or AT&T and direct TV to pursue a greater mm-hmm. vision. So I, I feel for people that, that are in a situation like that, um, that now want to change, but they're, they're so handcuffed and it's, it's a, it's a mountain to climb, man. It is a you mountain know. to climb. It is. You can, you can take snippets from, from me. You can take snippets from Dave Ramsey. You can take snippets from everybody and, and start chilling away at it. And how do you yes. eat an elephant? You know what they say, which I don't like that saying, by the way, I've never heard it. What is it? <laughs> I haven't heard that. So, I don't know why they chose an elephant. Cause I like elephants. You know, they say, how do you eat an elephant? And it's like one bite at a time. And I'm like, and that's the same. Basically, if you're going to climb a mountain, I guess you could say one step at a time. One step at a time. You know. Yes. Uh, the main not. thing is have the intestinal fortitude to, to, once you start it, don't give up. Keep going. Be persistent. Yeah. And realize that getting to your goal, if you, you know, I, I used to work in factories, and I never thought I'd be in the position I'm in now, which lets me know, and I tell everybody that asks me this, if I can do it, you can do it. You know, there's opportunity out there for everybody. This country is the greatest country on earth because everybody's on equal playing field. We all have the same opportunity. So it's, you just have to get in your mind, I'm going to succeed. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, obviously the first, the first natural instinct is to go, to go get a job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got to pay the bills. You got to pay the bills. But then for the people that, that do have a little bit of a desire to, to kind of carve their own way, a lot of times people will jump immediately to that, hey, let's start a business. But I think a lot of people don't really think too much about what you've done. Invent invent something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's totally possible. You just have to kind of walk around through the day and look for look for problems that you can solve. Is that how would you how would how would you give that sometimes you have to look for them, sometimes they hit you in the face. Mm. Um and that goes back to the the equine bucket. You know, that thing we we were feeding Savannah's horse, we have a regular bucket like everybody else. Make the horse's foods about $30 a serving. You put it down. As I spin around to say something to her, I hear the bucket going over the gate. Well, there's $30 worth of food that they're not going to eat. And you don't want them to eat it because now it's got sticks and rocks and all this in it that could cause a Mm -hmm. $30,000 vet bill. I look at her and I said, is there a better way to feed him? She goes, no, if there was, I'd be using it. So that, when I say hit me in the face, had I been turned around the other way and taken two steps, the bucket would have hit me in the face. So sometimes problems hit you in the face. Sometimes you have to go looking for them. So you're saying I don't know anything about horses or feeding horses, but you're saying traditionally you would you would put feed in a bucket and, and throw, set it on the ground. And, okay, and they just then, dip it over. And they, they the horses knock it over. Yeah, they yeah, knock their water makes, over. That makes sense. Yeah, you know. And but nobody. And the reason nobody had done this because I guess everybody else had thought somebody else had. Well, when I called my patent attorney, nobody had. So now we have a bucket that. Uh, Will prevent your horse from spilling its food, and we can we can talk about it a little bit, right? Sure, it's patent pending. So it's uh, it 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 basically secures it to the ground. It locks so it secures it. it to the ground inside the trailer. You can bolt it to a stall. You can bolt it to your stall mat and inside the barn for the horse. And like I said, in a trailer, you can fix it in the trailer wherever you want, so they can have water during transport, which is a big deal. Um, it can be used in the pet industry. Um, my good friend Jeff used to be the director of Paul's here. Was telling us they responded to 
multiple fatalities of yeah. animals that knock their water over and I, die. I saw it all the time. Yeah. I, th- I think I might have brought this up on our last episode we did, but when I, when I was working for Drake TV, I would, it would require mm-hmm. me to go in a lot of people. Yeah, you'd give them water yourself. A lot yeah. of people's backyards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd have to go through the backyard fence to a lot of times get to the cable box. Yeah. And sometimes these people uh, would be home. Sometimes they wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they might would say, hey, go ahead and get started. I'll be there in an hour. You know, mm-hmm. I just do the outside stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be like August. Yeah. And I get back through that backyard and they'd have a dog, no you know, either running running free or either tied to a tree. Yeah. Can't do that anymore, thankfully. And yeah, thank God. And either way, well, either way, you, you know, a lot of these people were, I could tell, cared about their animal. Mm-hmm. And it was a clean home, a clean home. But the dog's water bowl was knocked over and, and this can be used for the pet industry for the equine industry for the agricultural industry the patent cover as a matter of fact uh, I, I can't mention the company's name yet because we're still in negotiation but i was contacted um about two weeks ago by a multi-billion dollar company that has a need for buckets in the paint industry mm. buckets that won't spill your paint well, there you go so they're now looking at it heavily so, cool. you know, it solves a problem in a bunch of different industries that started with the horse. You never know where something's going to go. Yeah. Started with solving a problem in the horse industry. Now it solves a problem in the paint industry, the pet industry. And that patent covers that too. It I covers guess. all of it. So yeah. I could see that totally. I could see where you could, uh, especially for painters that are up on a ladder mm-hmm. or up on a, um, um, what do you call the, the high scaffolding, scaffold, scaffolding. The, the walk boards they walk sure, on. Lock it if, in. If you had a spot on that, on your ladder, mm-hmm. or on, on one of those where you could lock it in, yeah, totally. And for big jobs, you can actually put casters on it and push it around so it won't spill. There you go. Yeah, yeah. They're, they, they're, they're interested. That's cool. So, Well, yeah, so, um, you know, for people that are listening, you know, if you have a desire to kind of find some ways to, to break loose from the current situation you're in, you know, Put put some uh, put some inventor goggles on as you navigate through your day, you know. Just have that have that open open mind, you know. If you're if you're in a drive through somewhere, or if you're um, in a grocery store, or if you're at an automotive shop getting your tires changed, and you just just look and be like, you know, what are they doing? Is there a way to do it better? Mm-hmm. And you never know. You never know what you might could think of. Look, and, if you go down the aisles of Home Depot, and everything on those shelves was invented by somebody. Yeah. One of the most famous examples of an, an invention at, that's made somebody a tremendous amount of money at Home Depot is for 1995. You can go in Home Depot and walk out with a magnet on a stick. That's right. You can. That's for Picking situations where, like, if a mechanic shop floor, yeah, or drops a screw mm-hmm. somewhere deep inside the engine bay, they can just magnet on stick. put that stick down there. Somebody's making ridiculous money for putting a magnet on a stick. So speaking of that. What's some what's some other inventions like that where people has been in something so simple but has, is making ridiculous money? So although it was patented in the 1800s, uh, we discussed this before we went on there too, the little plastic things that's on your shoestrings. Yes. That's one of the most valuable patents ever because of how many people use it. You know, at a penny apiece, what would that be? Now, I'm assuming I've learned a little bit about patents mm-hmm. since I've been hanging out with you, but that, that patent's expired. Oh, by decades and decades. Patents good for 15 to 20 years. That was invented in the 1800s. So here's here's a question for you, and it might be sad. I might not want to know the guy that invented that originally. Did he did he get compensated for it, or was there no compensation stuff like that back then? I don't know. Oh, I'm man. sure there was a license agreement, and you know now since the patent has expired, anybody can copy it without being legally obligated to pay royalties of any kind. Mm. So the day your patent expires, your next door neighbor can copy what you did, and there's literally nothing you can do to him. 
because you no longer have intellectual property protection. And then you, we, we, we talked about Velcro mm-hmm. earlier. That's, that's a pretty. Velcro is pretty neat stuff. Yeah. I had a Japanese friend that uh, his name was Matsumoto Kazushi. He worked out at uh, Katsuro when I worked there. He called it magic tape. They didn't have a word in Japanese for Velcro. So he mm-hmm. just called it magic tape, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, ideas and royalties and all that, you know, that's, that's that's been a this is that's a whole other sector of 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 uh, I guess financials, um, another angle of income that I've I've just recently started kind of playing around in mailbox money, mailbox money because I've I grew up you know and I'm I grew up where you you got to trade time for money yeah that's, and, that's and not and not only not only time but physical 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 mm-hmm. labor you know mm-hmm. I started working construction when I was twelve with D L Dutton and Wayne Robinson. And it went from there to installing in-ground pools to doing landscaping with Chris Goodwin to, you know, a lot of back-breaking stuff. I tell people I'm only, I'm only 30, 38, but I feel like I'm, a lot of times I feel like I'm older, like internally, my soul, mm-hmm. because I've just been working everything in, you went through in, in the workforce for so long, you know. And, um, I mean, by the time I was, I think, 13, I was up on a roof with a nail gun, nailing up plywood on the rafters and... You know, all that good stuff. So, I mean, I'm grateful because I learned a lot. and um, But I, I was just programmed. That's just what you got to do to make a living. And then it wasn't too long, you know, down the road and having some entrepreneurial spirit to me that I've decided that there's got to be a little bit better way to uh, to make to make income. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe you don't have to, to trade every single second for, right. for a dollar. There's Typically, there's three ways. You can either provide a product, a service, or the transfer of information. And in today's time, we're, we're shifting more to the transfer of information, which you can do pressing keys, stockbroker yep. kind of thing. But that's where being an entrepreneur, developing products, developing IP, you know, you're selling them your information. Right. If you have a, a product you invented and you sell that patent to a company, you had to go through the, the sweat and labor of building it and testing it and all that. But you're transferring and if it's a product, of course, you're a product, too. And then they mm-hmm. sell the product. But society is getting away from, in certain segments, getting away from the traditional factory work and things like that. And we still have to have factories to produce well, yeah. goods, to sell goods. But the entrepreneurship field is more focusing on the transfer of information. Yeah, and I think COVID sped, uh, sped that up um, because what I have found is, you know, obviously – uh, during during COVID, there was some government checks sent out, which mm-hmm. which didn't. And then after after things opened back up, I know I know they didn't help things. They kept sending people money, but even even a year after, two years after, you know, there's a lot of people that will still say that you know I just can't find help. You know, nobody wants to work since COVID. Everybody's just still sitting at home. No, I don't. Yeah, they may be sitting at home, but what I think COVID what what COVID did was force people to to to, to pivot. Uh, so let's just take an example of a guy that did work for a, a company. Mm-hmm. COVID came about and they they had to shut down. So you got the you got millions of people sitting at home, mm-hmm. or that that probably maybe is concerned about their job and what's next. And maybe some of these people have always had a little bit of an inkling to start a side hustle. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what better time? Oh, absolutely. To to, to start that, you know, you, sure. you're sitting at home. You, you might have some some pension or money coming in, mm-hmm. you know, all these companies, depending on who you work for, still, still paid you a certain percentage of your salary. Mm-hmm. So what, what greater time to start a side hustle? So what I think happened during COVID was 
a large percentage of the population became self-employed uh, and, or discovered that there's actual ways to make money, to make money or learn a new skill set. Sure. Like, you know, you can learn a lot through YouTube. What if, what if, uh, yeah. what if during that shutdown, somebody simply took an online course on how to do video editing skills or build a website and learn how to do that during the shutdown and got that confidence to open their own website, you know, making business. Here, here's what would be interesting. It would be very intriguing to dig into the patent and trademark office records and see how the, the surge in patent applications during oh, COVID, COVID. Because, like you said, everybody was at home. home they were tinkering. bored. They were just, their minds going numb. So I bet there was a measurable spot yeah. in the well, intake of patent applications because people had the time to see problems. Well, I can, th- I can tell you one right now that's off Shark Tank. Uh, two guys were home home from covid they were actually neighbors and they both happened to walk out and check their mail at the same time and they kind of started chatting you know hey what you up to and they're like man i don't know it just sucks being stuck at home and they got us talking long story short they got they got together in one of the guys garage and invented basically a mini bonfire kit it's a tin can Mm -hmm. it's uh it's where you basically can pop the lid off you can light it and it's got the appearance of like a really cool looking little mini bonfire mm-hmm. and it's 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 probably i don't know it's probably five or six inches around but it's portable mini easy to start mm-hmm. bonfire campfire feeling where you can set that thing up on your back porch and actually roast marshmallows over it but it sure. lasts forever and it has the same appearance as a fire as a fire you know and they invented that thing and sure. they, didn't, they didn't go back to their day jobs well they probably didn't need to and that goes <laughs> back to what we were discussing about if if when people have as as humans, we're creative by nature, and when we're given the time to create and we don't have to slave away at a factory or an office job or various other things, then our creative side can take over, and we have the freedom to create, which, and I wish success for everybody, that can remove them from that axe grinding. Most people just need a little free time to start thinking. Yeah, and that's you're, you're exactly right, and that's where the power of delegating comes in play, and that's one thing that I'm – knew it and I'm I'm getting better at it and I'm actually proud of how far I've came and yes you're right because it got to a point where even with the, the nutrition shop uh, it's it's grown substantially over the past two years three years it got to a point where I was playing all the roles Can you know you? I was not only was I helping out behind the counter I was at one point doing the scheduling mm-hmm. one point doing the ordering for for supplies one point doing payroll mm-hmm. um, and I'm about to really freak you out. I was, I was still running my stump grinding business too. I would actually get up in the morning, go to the gym, driving my truck and trailer with the equipment on it, get a really good workout like at five or six in the morning, swing by the smoothie shop with my, my rig, you know, my trailer and all that, I go inside, take orders, you know, uh, what we needed from the supply, you know, pineapple, bananas, push that through, send out tips, do all that secretarial stuff, then go grind stumps, come back around noon, check on the place, go back to grinding stumps, go home, park the trailer, get in my personal truck, come back, and do more, more, more secretarial back-end stuff. It didn't take me long to figure out that wasn't sustainable. No. So I knew that I was going to have to start training, finding the right help. 
and training them how to do stuff that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it's been a slow process, but now it's obviously I'm in a lot of better position because I'm able to be here today with you mm-hmm. at um, 11, 13 a.m. Wow. And everything's still mm-hmm. moving right along. Yeah. yeah. And uh, delegating. It took me to – and it goes back to an episode that I had T.K. Hamilton on. He's, we titled that one, Let Go to Grow. Mm-hmm. It's, it makes sense. So um, whether that's letting go of um, the fear of – or a control, uh, letting go. Um, and he was, he was, he had a pretty, pretty cool perspective. You know, he says, you know, the only way he's been able to grow his company to where it is now is by delegating, but things are still not perfect. Right. But that's, that's fine. This, the, the good still outweighs the bad. Sure. You're still going to have sure. humans involved in errors. Biggest thing is, is did that employee learn from it? And can sure. we, can we improve, grow, on, improve it. on it? Yeah. Go forward. You know, it's the same thing with like with my stump grinding business. I finally got to a point where I hired a guy, trained him how to use the equipment, trained him how to price the jobs, mm-hmm. but he still made mistakes. Sure. He, he would back the trailer into a, a, one of those yellow poles at a gas station and bust up the fenders on the trailer a little bit here and there. And, but you know that it would be real easy for me to blow a fuse and cuss him or whatever, take it out of his paycheck or, you know, whatever. But yeah. I would pause and ask myself, did I do perfect? I had fender benders too. Sure. Uh, I had a, I had a good many, and it was my own equipment. So it's just it's just human, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think he did it on purpose, nah. but it, mm-hmm. I'm not stupid. If it happened every weekend or That's every, a little different you know, story. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. so yeah, just just letting go to grow, uh, and sometimes that can you can even apply that to just normal people. You, you might you might need to let go of um, living high on the hog <laughs> every every weekend, every month, or every weekend. To, to, to grow in the direction you, you need to go mm-hmm. you know what are you what are you spending your money on you know what are you is it just just cr- crazy amounts of spending on stuff that you can you can kind of chisel down to mm-hmm. give yourself the freedom to pivot and grow into a direction that you want to grow in whether it's starting that new job whether it's just give, giving some peace back into your life to where you you can focus on yourself or in the stress the, the health levels mm-hmm. because so many people put their health on the back burner and we all know at the end of the day that if you're sitting on your laying on your deathbed you know you you probably pay everything in the world you got to get your health back sure. you to spend more time with your family and sure. friends so and that's that's one thing i try to teach or put into put into perspective with people i'm working with is you know they talk about they just don't have time they don't have time to eat right they don't have time to do this no time to exercise i'm like you know, make time i feel like i'm going to get People's gonna get tired of hearing me say this, but if you if you don't make time somehow to to, to do it now, then the universe and disease is gonna force you to, to 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 make time later in ways you don't want to make time. Adjust something to where you have that time. Yeah, look look at your day. Take a week and write down what you do, when you do it, the times you do it, and then figure out where you can make that time. Because there's something you can get rid of. There's something you can move around mm-hmm. to make that time. Because the one commodity that is priceless that we can never generate more of this time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, for me, it's like, like I told you earlier, I'm, I'll be 39 this year and uh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm 39. I feel like I'm, I'm going to get better, but I'm like, there's still so much I want to do. I'm like, 
the hourglass is, is going mm-hmm. and it's very overwhelming because I'm like, will I ever get there? Uh, well, will I get to the, the ultimate place mm-hmm. or do we ever, it's a moving target. So, <laughs> and sometimes it changes daily. So you just have to realize that, you know, you've got to hit those thresholds. You, you set some thresholds, set some goals, and the end target may move, but you have to be willing to move with it. Because, you know, you hear about people that that um, reach certain levels of success, and then they, they keep going. Mm-hmm. It's never enough. Right. Would, will I be like that? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly want to be at a point where I'm happy I'm happy and love what I do, mm-hmm. and money's not a, a money's not a problem, not a concern, not a concern. Whether I'm chilling here in a podcast studio, mm-hmm. whether I'm sitting on a beach somewhere, mm-hmm. or I want to go visit a, a country for a month, mm-hmm. that's what I want. So that goes back to what I said: being able to afford the freedom of time. Yes. So you have to make time to get to the success level that you want <laughs> right. chisel your day out yep. if it's inventing something developing something whatever because you're buying that time yeah you know that's what you're doing you're exchanging this time for that time yeah yeah man so for you listeners um i know it's a hard a hard thing to do because yes when you're you're, you're in the thick of it and you do you do have the credit card debt and you do have the uh, expensive suv payments and you do have the the, the children running around and um, and you really have put too much on your plate. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no better way to put it. Right. Um, you're going to have to just do some, some you and your significant others going to have to just have some serious conversations and be like, can we sustain this forever? Right. You know, what's 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 going to be the weak link? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be your relationship? Is it going to be your health? Mm-hmm. It's going to fail. There's Something's got to give. Some, there's going to be something that, that fails. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you a lot of times it is relationships. It's relationships and and the health. You know how many how many times do you see people get together, young and happy, and all of a sudden five years later, they're they're miserable, in debt, and a hundred pounds overweight, and they're splitting up and causing chaos in the kid's life. Yes. How did that happen? How did that happen? You know. Yes. I mean, it's just like where did it come unraveled? Typically, that is living beyond your means. The the number one domestic uh, the cause of domestic arguments typically in today's time, is money. People fight over money. One partner wants to use it for this. The other partner wants to use it for that. So it's important that if you have a life goal that you want to change your life and improve your financial standing, your partner needs to be on board. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to cause some problems. So get them on board with your with your entrepreneurship spirit and let them see that it's not today, it's not tomorrow, it's a year from now, it's five years from now. you got to look down the road. You want that beach house? Well, then we got to make some sacrifices. You know? Yeah. And it, it it is expensive now for people starting off. It, it can be, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I can't remember exactly how she put it, but I saw a, a video of a, a woman putting this to perspective. She basically said, in in the early two thousands, um, a couple could buy a home uh, with twenty percent of their income, which is a safe mm-hmm. um, that, that that monthly that income that, ratio that yeah. monthly payment. Mm-hmm. But now. 20% would be like a freaking half a million dollar home. It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember the ratio, but basically the, w- what she was trying to get at was people's income has not increased as much as the housing market has. Cost of living's gone through the cost roof. Cost of living's went through the roof, but the pay hasn't right. really rose with it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, for a couple that's starting off young, you know, a lot of them's going to have some college student loans, you know, you're going to get married, probably, probably have a wedding that's too expensive. Um, you know, you're going to want to buy a decent home. Um, sometimes it's probably a little bit more of a home than you can afford cars because you, you want that Pinterest, Pinterest looking mm-hmm. cute house mm-hmm. and then the SUV. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you're five grand a month, you're five, six grand a month. And then the credit cards come along evil. And then by the time you're 25 years old, you're, you're on up there in debt. A million in debt. A million in debt. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not a good recipe, but I feel like that's kind of the standard these days. Honestly, that's the standard path. And that's partly because of the, the marketing of the credit card companies. They convince everybody or they attempt to convince. I don't own a single credit card, not one. The credit card companies want you to have debt because they make a lot of money on your debt. I'm going to call you out. You do have one. It's very impressive, but you haven't used it. I haven't used it. That well, All my normal <laughs> business accounts are um, debit cards. That is a credit card, and I'll tell you why I don't use that one anymore. A funny story on that. Um, I was at Applebee's, and that particular day I had pulled up in the Lambo, which caused a bit of a stir, and I had that card with me. And what, what card are we talking about? We're talking about a black card. And I handed it to the girl. She was probably a high school girl. And instead of like all the other places I used it, you know, they just look at it and look at me and do a you know, priestive nod and walk off and run the charge and, and I leave. Oh, no, no. This young lady had, had heard about him but never seen one. And at the very top of her lungs screamed, you've got a black card in Applebee's. Man. Every single person in that restaurant looked at me. I have never used it since. Now, I always paid it off. That's that's how credit card companies will get you. Is they don't want you to pay your balance off. They want to make that interest, you know. So for people that don't know what a black card is, tell us. A, a black bit about card that. is a financial tool that when your your financial and I used to have uh, credit cards. I used to a long time ago. And when you spend so much a year, it's it's a different threshold for different companies. When you charge and pay off, I think the the the, the Trip line is two fifty, something like that. So when you charge and pay off two fifty a year, and you don't get one if you have bad credit, two hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, if you if you have bad credit or you miss your payments or you're paying them in, you, they don't talk to you. Right. This thing shows up, you know. And like I said, different different companies you have didn't different versions for it. You did, they just you some of them you can apply for, some of them show up. You're showing um, up, and it's it showed up via um, the as the post said via <laughs> registered. He said, "Sir, I need to see your ID." FedEx driver said, I need to see ID. And I said, man, I hadn't ordered anything. <laughs> and he goes, yes, sir, I have a, a, a box for you that you have to show ID for me to hand it to you. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I show it, and, and I open it, and that's what it was. Um, it trips something in the financial system. I forget which company has a red one. They're, they talk about it in rap songs. It's a red card, but it's the same thing. Mm. Um, and basically, if you have one of these, one of the most famous purchases on a black card, one of the, one of the uh, sheiks across the pond, Put a Gulfstream on one. It, it has no limit. On they, it. Some of them do, some of them don't. Okay. It depends on the company and it depends on the card. Right. But now you got to pay for it. It's not free money. <laughs> right. But you can walk up to a what would can be considered a very high end purchase and hand them that card and they're going to take it. Right. Because they know. They know. Yeah. Uh, it's going to go through. Yeah. So, but in you know, at the end of the month, you're going to get a bill, and you need to pay that bill. <laughs> yeah. um, these people that make minimum payments on things, they get killed. You know, if you yeah. buy a five thousand dollar whatever, and you make your minimum payment over, man, 
10, 15 years, you're going to pay 40 grand for it. Mm. Pay your bills. They get trapped in that debt cycle, and those yeah. companies are very good at the advertisement. You need our credit card. We'll mm. give you this percentage. Yeah. Their credit cards are a great tool for building credit, but pay the bill. When the bill comes in, pay it. Pay it early and pay extra. You know? Yeah. It, it just best to just pay it back to zero, right? Pay it back to zero, and you know, like I said, when I made the statement, I don't have a credit card because that one, if you don't you don't use them, they shut the thing off. Right. So I actually have to call and get it turned back on. No activity shuts the cards off, and if I tried to use it now, they it would wouldn't work anyway. It's cute to look at in its little display box, you know. But yeah. all I use now is debit cards, my company debit cards, because my philosophy now is I don't spend money I don't have. Right. If you don't have it, don't spend it. Yep. Simple. So now everything's a debit card. Cool. Yeah. Well, man, I, we got a few minutes left, and just just to kind of have some fun with this last five or ten minutes, we're gonna. I'm just gonna pick one one of the topics that okay. we had talked about earlier, mm-hmm. just because I'm I'm curious, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm 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 very curious what your opinion is. We'll just we'll just choose. Um, I want to know your opinion on the pyramids. Um, okay. How 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 was these giant, uh, you know, things made? And how, how many how many years ago was that? And you're telling me that you know there was no there was no machines back then. That would be hard for humans to make now. We don't have machines today capable of lifting that of kind of lifting weight. those blocks. Because to my knowledge, the blocks are big. They're right? massive, and they weigh. Some of the obelisks in Egypt weigh hundreds of tons each. Hundreds of tons. Yeah. Um. It's 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 ridiculous. The the space between those stones today, you still can't put a playing card between them. We are taught that the Egyptians built them. I was taught, you're right, through whatever, schooling, kitty kitty shows, kid mm-hmm. shows, that, yes, the, the Egyptians worked hard, and they they worked together as a team, and maybe hundreds of them pulled rope and drug these things, and it took, it took them years to build. That's, that's the way I was taught. We're, we're taught that, and the Egyptians <laughs> recorded their history. Nowhere in their history does it record they built them. There is not a single, to my knowledge, there's not a single piece of Egyptian history that indicates they built them. The pyramids are much, much older than we're taught. We're taught they're 2,500, 3,500 B.C. Garbage. They predate that. The Sphinx is about 12,000 years old, and it used to be underwater. It's been proven that the Sphinx has water erosion. It's also proven that there's a very large, I think it's the right paw, that there's a very large cavern under the paw, which uh, Casey, the, the uh, what was his name? Casey was the, um, he was the guy that would go into the trance and predict the future. And I, I keep thinking John Wayne Casey, but he was a mass murderer. Um, but he says that some of the secrets of the universe are under the paw. Well, mm. they won't let him open it. There are uh, areas in the Great Pyramids that they can't get to that are sealed. And here's the thing about the pyramids. We were taught that the pyramids were were burial chambers for the pharaohs. Garbage. All the pharaohs and all that, they're buried in the Valley of the Kings. The In the, the Great Pyramid of Giza, there is a stone structure that is carved that is the exact dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. The pyramid top used to be Captain Gold, which is a great conductor of electricity. And even Tesla theorized, probably very accurately, that the Great Pyramid was nothing but a power generator because the outside of it used to be, I think it was white limestone polished and then a gold-capped top. You're transmitting power. 
they have found, done tests, and proven the way it's designed, the chambers and all that. Yeah, it creates it. Fo- it focuses the energy. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was basically a nuclear reactor, and I can say that because I was trained in the Army on nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare. If you go back and look at the biblical text of what happened to the people that mistreated the Ark, the Ark that is textbook radiation poisoning. Textbook. They're describing radiation poisoning. Mm. So the, the arc was radioactive. When you put that into a device, it's basically a powerhouse. You generate a tremendous amount of power. Yeah. The the pyramids are not what we were told they are. Well, just based off that, I mean, I think we talked about this before. I feel like there's a really good chance that humans at one point in the world as a whole was was way more advanced than we than we than we think. We, uh, there are ancient civilizations that are far more advanced than we are today. Like we think that that that. It's it's like started at like ground zero, and it's just kind of took us up until this point to have the technology we have now. But yeah. I feel like that's not right. I feel like there is there was a time when people people were dabbling around in, in some really high tech mm-hmm. ways, but but that's just been either brushed under the rug or or we just don't know. Um, but there's, it seems like there's evidence of, of that, like you just said. There's lots of evidence of one of the most famous ancient civilizations is Atlantis. Uh, some of the Greek philosophers wrote about uh, Atlantis, first-person accounts, very advanced city. You know, the Mayans, the Aztecs, very advanced cities. Um, some of these ancient civilizations knew more about the stars than we know today, and they're correct. Yeah. So the only way you know that is if you had help. Yeah, so that's just a little, little food for thought for you guys, and um, I think that's fascinating. But dude, on a current events, um, uh, you know, sadly it's a sad one because I don't, I don't think they're going to make it. But the uh, the recent um, submarine, mm-hmm. um, what's the latest on that? They they're supposed to have already ran out of air. Yeah, I think at this point it's yeah. it's safe. Or unfortunately, it's they're they're they're, they're out of oxygen. Well, and the problem you run into with that is you have, as the Apollo 13 guys ran into, you have carbon dioxide that builds up in the cabin, in the cabin, and which will, will poison you. And hopefully they had scrubbers yeah. you know, like the Apollo 13 did. But they're probably, by now, they're probably all asphyxiated. Yeah, for the listeners that, that, that don't really know what's going on, because this, this episode is going to drop um, in a couple of days. And you'll be hearing about it on the news. But, yeah, this um, – and I don't know a lot, but I, I do know that it's uh, – it's a makeshift, like kind of a little high tech mini submarine that um, that they have basically for, for, to, to fund their research for the, of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. They would allow people to purchase a ticket for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Ironically, the engineer, the chief engineer in this project that helped design that sub, told the company that it was unsafe, that it is too dangerous to take it on these missions, and he was fired. Mm. Either way, it's it's it's. I'm not sure if this was this was their first one, like that was. I don't know. Uh, anyways, five people were on it, and two two hours into their descent down, because I think it was like a four hour. It's a multi hour descent. Yeah, yes. it's like four hours down, four hours back up. So, mm-hmm. and I forget how many feet. It's like twelve thousand. It's uh yeah, it's two and a half miles, twelve thirteen thousand feet. Yeah. So you figure if it, if there were two hours in, they're probably around that that was they were around that six thousand feet depth possibly when they lost communication the problem is the ocean currents if the if the if the ocean has a current there of just say five knots which is probably greater truthfully but at their drift rate with no power and and 
ways by which to maneuver, they could be hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles. away from the Titanic. And because these craft don't have any type of transponder like we do in full-size aviation, they don't know where to start searching. So that brings upon another question. we got a few more minutes. Um, let's just say there is some hope that because I, they, they, what I was, what I read was this thing was designed to where, regardless of what's going on, after twenty four hours, this thing was going to have multiple safety backups to where it would drop some weight and some balloons would fill up and and make them rise to the surface. Well, let's just say that they did lose power on six thousand feet down. The currents, mm-hmm. and they they still had oxygen, but the current made them drift away hundreds of miles mm-hmm. into who knows where a country. Right. Then all of a sudden the airbags came out and they might have popped up and they might they might be floating around in the uh, middle of nowhere, off the coast of uh, China. The problem is they'll still be dead because the air, the I start to say the aircraft the ship is bolted together from the outside. They have no way to open it. Oh, so you're telling me even if even, even if, if they, they surface, had, they're still dead. Are you serious, man? Yeah, that's sad. It's the the craft is the it's. It's the outside is how it's fixed. The crew on the outside actually bolts them in. So even if they surface, so even if they surface, there's still, still no out. oxygen because no. it's pressure. It's no, they can't get out. Man, that's not good. That's not a good design. I mean, I don't know. I know they probably designed it like that for a reason. But to me, if that's that's a, that'd be a good emergency backup if you could if you could somehow yeah. create some airflow or something once you resurfaced. They would have lived if uh, they had the opportunity. But see, the problem is you can't have a way to open it to let fresh air in because at that crest depth, it would just smash that system and it would flood it. Gotcha. The pressure at that depth is so strong. You to can't give have it. any kind of. No, if you took a um, a scuba tank down at that level and you pierced a hole in it, the pressure is so strong. Instead of the compressed, very high pressure compressed yeah. air coming out, ocean water would go in. Well, I hate that. My thoughts are with the families, and um, that's been on my mind. I see it pop up in my news feed. It's all over the news, yeah. And that's, um, I know that's that, that probably, uh, I don't even want to think about it, but probably wasn't a pleasant way to go no, it, when you're slowly you're, running out of oxygen. They're in an area about the size of a, um, like a, van. a small van. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, no food, no water, no sanitation for two or three days now. Um, it's not designed for that. So it, the, you know, if the power went out, it's black. So the the conditions are bleak. They will if they do make it, which by now they're supposedly out of air. But if they do make it, they will all need serious counseling. Yeah, yeah. Well, Leslie, I appreciate you being on again. No problem. And uh, like always, there's so many more questions I have. We could talk about different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, until next time, hope you have hope you guys have a good day. Thank you for listening to another episode. If you receive any value from the show, please share, subscribe, and give us a rating. 